Welcome back, Play On Podcast listeners. This is your host, Josh Stavros. For 22 years, the Utah Shakespeare Festival has been sending the Shakespeare in the Schools touring production into communities throughout Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Idaho, and beyond. Each year, a new selection of a Shakespearean classic is adapted, tailored, and reimagined through a company of 10 players traveling from January to April, bringing the power of Shakespeare to audiences of all ages. This year, the Shakespeare Festival is proud to present Hamlet. Today, we sit down with director Frank Hans to discuss the process leading up to the tour and what you can expect when we visit a town near you. Frank has worked at the Utah Shakespeare Festival for three seasons. He's worked as the Flockman Fellow in Dramaturgy for seven productions and was the director for the New American Playwrights Project uh, script Affluence in 2015. Other credits include Milwaukee Repertory Theater, a contemporary theater in Seattle, and Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Frank, welcome back to Play On. Thank you. It's so weird to see you on this side of the table. You were a host for so long. It's uh, it's great to have you back as a guest. Thank you. And it's a little different to be on this <laughs> side of the table, but it's it's fun. Well, we're excited to talk about uh, your touring production of Hamlet that we're uh, working on fr- right now, frantically, getting ready to send out on the road. Uh, and I want to sort of take, for, for the purpose of this interview, I want to sort of talk about what brought you here, what's where you're here now, and then if we get time right is right before you leave town, I want to talk again and sort of knowing that there's a lot of work conceptually that's gone into this, I want to see how much has changed from what you started with and where we're at now to what's at the end. But uh, talk to us a little bit about um, your what what has led you to the to this version of Hamlet that you're uh, presenting. Well, I think Hamlet is, for me at least, I think my favorite piece of literature, my favorite play, my favorite story. I think I there are elements of the story that I relate to in my own life, and and it in it sort of I was sort of introduced to it at a at a point where it had a lot of relevance to me, and so I I came at this with the enthusiasm about the story and the play that that immediately had me thinking about how to share this with with a young audience. Um, I know that. <clears throat> Sorry, I know that the that the tour reaches a lot of different audiences throughout throughout its um, city by city stops, but I but is primarily geared toward young people and young people who may not have had any experience with Shakespeare with live theater, and so that was that was sort of a one of the givens that I started with, and I started thinking about what the other givens were when I when I was proposing this project and um, and began to think then about um, what it would mean for a touring company to be coming into a school's gymnasium cafeteria theater and be sharing this play with audiences who may not know what to expect and I started thinking then about the nature of, of who the actors were how they would relate to students and then I kind of turned back to Hamlet and the, the, the text and started to wonder um, how we might begin to tell this story N- and knowing also that we have to get this beautiful four, out, four and a half hour play down to a, about a third of that <laughs> yeah, length no, or even less. No problem, um, right? Just, yeah, just... And it was, that was so easy to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But it was... Uh, but but that was kind of where, where I began, and then came to this notion that um, at the end of the play, 
Hamlet sort of entreats Horatio. It says, go tell my story. And I thought, well, we never really pick up on that. We don't, we don't follow that thread in any, in any way. Although I'm sure, you know, I mean, there are people who have pondered what's happened after Hamlet. Um, but, but I thought maybe this is the beginning of our story that Hamlet, Hamlet seems to be acquainted with these players. He calls them my old friends. Um, and that could be a hook then. And so I've sort of imagined that, and we've, we've imagined as an ensemble that the, that the play has ended. I won't spoil it for anyone who doesn't know the ending, but, um, but that Horatio goes and finds these players who are at court and who presented the, um, the, the murder of Gonzago in front of the king and queen and finds them and tells them what has happened since they left. And they, being acquainted and close to Hamlet, know that their job as storytellers is to go out and tell his story to anyone who will hear it. And um, although, we, although we've cut out the kind of geopolitical dimensions of, the, of Hamlet's story of necessity just because of time, I think there's something that's almost fundamental about like preserving the kingdom and preserving the society in which they live that is, that is driving them to tell this story. And yeah. Well, and, and in thinking about great storytelling, looking at that, the, co- the key to preserving a story truly is keeping it at its kernel of, in, in, in its most pure truth. You, right. The more you strip away to get down to what it's really about, then the preservation can really happen because then you're actually talking about, you're making it universal and you're making an idea. I love this, and I, you said it just now, and I love the idea of it's Hamlet's friends telling his story. You mentioned in your director's notes, you just said it again. Our friends tell our stories different than, or than strangers. Talk about why, why it's, how much that idea of friends preservation matters to you as you've gone through this process. Well, from the beginning, it necessitates figuring out who the important players are and who should be there and who should not in telling this story, what role Claudius and Gertrude play in this story. And so in some ways, we have to rely on the memories of the people who were there witnessing it and observing it, and they're going to have their own interpretation of what happened to Hamlet. The actor playing Hamlet is going to have a different interpretation of Hamlet than what other players might. So there's layers of character for these actors. They're not just playing the roles that they're playing in Hamlet, Claudio, Horatio, etc. They're playing, to a degree, the actor playing them. So did you talk about that with them, that there's a sort of things that the audience may never see but is interesting to talk about? Is there Has there been sort of a character development above the layer of Hamlet or Horatio or Claudius? Or it's, it's certainly something we're getting into, but I think that's a, a discovery within the rehearsal sure. process that we're, that we're getting our hands on right now. It's, it's very interesting. It also, I think, helps us understand, and I think it helps a, a student audience that is new to Shakespeare understand why between the last line of one scene and the second line of another scene, the same actor is playing two different characters. And um, and so there's a there's it pro- it provides a way of not worrying about the pretenses of well that guy looks an awful lot like the guy who just left playing Horatio and now he's playing Guildenstern um, to to making it part of the part of the way we tell that yeah, you story. Sort of eliminate that obstacle for them 
as part of the concept. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I think, and, and we're working right now with the question also of like what, yeah, what those actor personas are and how they're witnessing the story as it's being told. And um, and that might mean that, that, you know, the character playing Claudius is observing a very private moment that Hamlet is having, not because Claudius was listening in, but because the actor is interested or or committed to hearing his fellow player tell tell the story. Yeah. One of the other uh, key phrases from your director's notes that jumped out at me uh, is the idea of that this tour aims to reveal the inner workings of a tour. That, as you mentioned, to eliminate some of these obstacles and just to create a construct for the storytelling, that you're sort of throwing the doors wide to the theatricality of the process as much as what you see on stage. Uh, why is that valuable for an audience that may not have a lot of experience with theater? There are a couple levels to that for me. The first is that I think we sometimes believe that to make the magic of theater, it has to be magical, it has to be cinematic, it has to feel like it, as close to the Cirque du, Soleil, Cirque du Soleil show that we can get. Um, and there is a certain wonderment and and magic in that, that that I certainly appreciate as a theater goer and as an audience member and as a director and, and artist. But I think sometimes the the most magical moments in theater are the ones where we we turn the tables and we show how it's done. We show how the magic is made. And so I think we're very much embracing that idea within this production. The reason I think that's important then is that, um, especially for audiences who are new to Shakespeare, it, 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 um, it strips away the preciousness of theater and the idea that the only people who can do it are these well-trained artists who've gone through school and gotten their degrees and um, and and landed in a world-class Shakespeare festival telling this story. Certainly there are advantages to all of those <laughs> things. And, and, and I think we all um, appreciate when people bring their, bring their skill and talent to this. At the same time, I think there's a universality to storytelling, to making plays, to um, imagining that, imagining that all you need to tell a story is a story and some people who are willing to tell it. And that, that universalizes the experience in a way that I hope, I mean, I, I don't know that everyone is gonna go perform Hamlet in their backyard after they see this production, but I do think it um, can be an inspiration for people to find their own stories and tell them and, and, um, and, and embrace the, the, the essential humanness of storytelling for anybody. Well, it's a perfect segue because and one of the other elements I know that's unique about this production is the choice in, in how you've cast some of the roles. And I think it so perfectly relates to what you just said. Talk about what, uh, if whether it's a listener that will see it or a student's going to see, taking that idea of the universality of these stories and these characters and the connections between remembering your friends and how that translates into the casting of this production. It's certainly... Um Starting with this idea that there's a that there's a troop of seven actors who've got to tell this story, we imagine that they they are looking for um, 
they're looking to dole out those parts in the way that tells that story best. And at the at the at the top of the Hamlet pyramid is the character of Hamlet. And I we've imagined, and I and I think it was true in our process as well, in our process of casting the show as well as what the this troupe has gone through, is that um the most appropriate actor in this case happens to be a woman. And we are interested in seeing how this actor who was close uh, artistic director Emma Rice and I just read today that they're doing Cymbeline uh, next year but they're not calling it Cymbeline they're calling it Imogen because that's who it's really about and mm-hmm. anyway so I, I, I appreciate your ideas sort of fitting into this sort of zeitgeist of conversation anyway please continue yeah yeah and it's and I, and then as we looked at the rest of the play and how to cast it we're we're interested in the ways in which this we these players can bring new light to this story because it is a familiar story to those who who know Shakespeare and to those who've maybe seen it before but we've then stepped into looking at some some parallels that are a little bit a little bit different than what people maybe have experienced before um we have the same actor playing Gertrude and the ghost of Hamlet's father, which is, again, a, 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 a story that's different to tell in terms of gender, having a woman play Hamlet's father. But again, looking at the storytelling, and some of it's practical, like how do you, get, how do you break this down so that you have seven actors mm-hmm. sharing equal responsibility? And, We're and, coming on and off of stage, and, and what scene do they have next, and what did they have right before? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And also wondering... Um, how that might shape the story of Hamlet's madness as the play goes on. And in particular, we're, we're really delving in right now to having the, the character of Gertrude and the presence of the ghost in Gertrude's chamber after Polonius is killed um, and imagining how that, um, that plays with the text a little bit. And, and we've been very intentional in wanting to explore those kinds of things. Um, and so it's, I think, a continuation of a tradition that has gone on in this tour and that has gone on in um, in Shakespeare festivals around the country. Um, but I also think it's it's doing it quite purposefully and and with the integrity of the story at the heart of those choices. Awesome. Uh, so now we've got the cast. They've divvied up their friend's story the way that they want. How are they going to tell the story? What theatrical elements is this troupe of actors using in the world that they're in to tell the story uh, in their way? I know that you've got some various design. I mean, there, there's a set. Um, there are props. What kind of props? What are they using as far as to make sounds? Is, is there music? Talk about how they're telling that story. Well, we're, we're blessed in some ways that we have the resources of the Utah Shakespeare Festival behind us. And at the same time, we can't bring the entire festival on the road with us. We have a truck and we get to pack a truck with scenery and costumes and props. And so again, this, this conceit of how, we're, of how we're sharing this play came back to some practical considerations from the beginning. And some of those decisions then are to have created a set that is um, is is um, 
represents a castle, but does not take the idea of building a castle literally. We can't, we can't do that. We're, we know we're at Elsinore, we know we're there. And so we have to be able to resent, represent that in a very simple and straightforward way, enough for the audience to have a sense of where we are. And, um, and I'm quite excited that this scenic design is also going to allow for some very interesting lighting choices as well. And since the play takes place mostly in a small handful of locations, it's enabling us to explore some sharp differences between those locations and to be able to have a very interesting um, uh, sort of backdrop for the show where we'll be able to project different colors of light and different moods of light to capture those elements. Um, we're very, we're very, very lucky in terms of design that we have now LCD lights to take out on the road with us. Those are higher tech, but consume a lot less energy, which means when you go into a school, you can actually just plug them into the wall instead of worrying about blowing out fuses and <laughs> yeah. and not being able to use the same design from, from venue to venue. Um, Costume-wise, every every actor has a sort of base player costume that that is what the players would wear in their everyday lives. And then very simple but, but um, eye-popping elements that will help tell the story of who they're playing in a particular moment. Because there are costumes, there's one scene where one actor has two costume changes. So one character costume change, two character costume change, three character in a span of a couple of pages and several others where actors are making changes from one character to another very quickly. So those costumes have to be able to interchange in and out very quickly. Um, and, and to be able to, for the audience, to identify exactly what element is that other character and why. Yeah, and and we're trying to do that with, with subtlety rather than... Um, you know, big vocal changes sure. or or kind of schmackty um, transitions, which is which is a way this, to which is a way to do that. But, I have decided this character has a hump for no reason. Right, things like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so there's there's specificity in those choices that I think that I think will help tell a, an authentic and and unique story rather than a a, a kind of over-theatricalized version of things. And then as far as sound goes, we're using, um, we, you know, we, we are imagining that this is a troupe that's on a little bit of a limited budget. Um, <laughs> we had the option to use amplified sound, but I got very interested in the design process uh, with the idea of using sounds that were found, that um, we can, you know, bang on parts of the set and make sounds, that we can create wind from the from the props that we already have backstage rather than um, needing this this um, kind of once removed highly technical mm -hmm. version of sound effects. I think it keeps the story grounded in a in a in an interesting kind of way by doing that and I'm hoping that it will um, help set the mood in a in a in a more visceral kind of way. Talk about your mental the mental uh, exercise <clears throat> and the conversation with your actors about the difference between in theater, so often we build a show in a space. We, it's designed for that space, and we invite people into it to experience it. This is the exact opposite of that. 
we've designed a show that is designed to go, as you've mentioned, in multiple spaces, whether it's, as we've, the phrase we've, you know, patent pending, gymnacafnatoriums for the Utah Shakespeare Festival <laughs> at various schools all throughout the West, or, you know, large venues at community colleges, organizations. Talk about the mental difference between having a show brought to you versus a show that you come to see. It's a great question, and and it makes me think of what it means to be a guest in someone's house. And when you invite them in, there are certain there's a certain expectation that people can get there, <laughs> that they can pay the price that it costs to come into your house, and it's it's a certain way of doing theater that is probably the most established way of doing theater in this country in 2016. To be a guest in someone else's house um, means that you, you can go to visit people who might not be able to come to you. And that, I think, is, is really powerful because it means that we're, we're sort of spreading the word of William Shakespeare <laughs> in a um, in a way that that is 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 coexists very beautifully with the mission of the festival here in Cedar City, Utah, but that opens it up and and makes it available to people who may not have otherwise had an opportunity to experience Shakespeare in their lifetimes. The first, the first um, Shakespeare I ever saw was on a school tour years and years ago when I was six years old, maybe five years old. And so it, it means a lot to me to be able to be a part of telling that story and taking that story somewhere else. It also, I think, um, requires a certain degree of responsibility though too in making sure that the stories are accessible that we um, make the place a better place when we come in and, and, and after, we've, after we've gone, and that whatever we do to come in and, and touch people's lives over a very you know, relatively brief period of time is um, something that can be lasting and enduring and meaningful and powerful to the people who have given us their space to tell that story, who've taken the time out of their day to have us in. Why is Hamlet a story worth taking to someone else's house? I'm really glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in 2016, we have, for various reasons, I think, landed on telling the story of a Hamlet who is past his adolescence and into adulthood. The actors who play Hamlet are usually in their 30s, their or maybe even 40s sometimes, as we as we've seen in, in recent years. Um, but I think at its heart, Hamlet is the story of a young person who has unexpectedly encountered grief, confusion, um, loss of forward momentum, an undiscovered 
or or un heretofore unexperienced um, desire for revenge. And when I think about what young people living in the United States in 2016 are experiencing, I think that Hamlet's story isn't so far away from theirs that it that it won't have resonance and currency to them. And so I think at its heart, that's what makes this play important to tell to young people today. Um, it's also a great story. <laughs> and the way that Shakespeare unfolds that, that for us with the nuances and complexities of things um, means that there are lots of different ways to understand this play. There are lots of different characters to connect to, so that maybe Hamlet's story and Hamlet's experiences aren't the, aren't the way in. But there are lots of other young people in this play, people like Laertes, who is, um, who's absent for a lot of the play, but whose sense of nobility and valor is the, is the thing that he has understood I think in a conceptual sort of way for himself, but I don't think he's actually figured out how to do that yet. I think Ophelia is a character who thinks the world is one way and then discovers it to be another, and it it tears her apart. You have characters like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who are, who are in some ways um, minor characters to this story, but they're really important characters in this story too, in their friendship with Hamlet, but also their betrayal of Hamlet from the moment they walk on stage, being in complicity with, with Claudius's plans to figure out what's going on, and therefore being set up in this weird sort of way to spy on their friend. And, um, and I think at the heart of all of those characters' stories are dilemmas that young people grapple with, whether it's you know social conflicts in the cafeteria at lunch or um, with their family and with having a step-parent or with having... Um, or having experienced loss. And I think those are really important themes for us as, as actors to think about, but also um, for young people to think about as they watch this play. Well, so we've, we've talked with Michael Barr before, and he, one of the things he likes to say is, a good piece of theater doesn't tell you what to feel, but it asks you questions about what you see. And I think it sounds like this production as well in the way to ask those kind of questions. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I have I have two very quick uh, two last quick ones. I said two before, but it's a lie. Uh, this is the second Hamlet we've done on this tour in seventeen years. This is the twentieth anniversary of the tour. This is the we have the last time we did Hamlet was in the nineteen nineties. Do you feel any pressure for this sort of revival of Hamlet on on the road? I didn't before, but now I do. <laughs> Good. Well, <laughs> no, I, I I mean I think there is it is a monumental story, and it's a it's. Um, it's in. I I will perhaps regret saying this later, but it in many ways is such a perfect story that it is it is the it is us that creates the problems for this play, not Shakespeare, and that's not true always of Shakespeare. There are yeah. the, the the problems within Hamlet are 
you know, little minor contradictions that, that you can sort of work past. Um, they're not major plot devices that don't hold together or, um, or, or through lines that get dropped and you sort of go, what happened there? Um, and so I think it puts a great responsibility on us to get the story right. And that's where I feel the pressure coming from. Although now I feel more pressure. Good. So. <laughs> uh, and then the last question, apparently the question to be or not to be. To be. There you go. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. For more information about this year's Shakespeare in the Schools tour, including schedule, cast bios, photos, resources for educators, and much more, visit our website at bard.org tour. Be sure to follow our company on the Instagram page with the hashtag HamletHitsTheRoad and hashtag WanderingWill for more behind-the-scenes looks at how this show comes together. Be on the lookout for new and exciting episodes every month as we prepare for the opening of the new Beverly Taylor Sorensen Center for the Arts in our 2016 season.